Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Brainwaves. Hear the world differently. Tune in to 3CR Community Radio Wednesdays at 5pm for Brainwaves, Melbourne's drive-time radio show, giving voice to people with mental illness. One in five have a mental illness, but five in five can enjoy this great program featuring heartwarming stories, great information and some laughs as well. Find us at 3CR, 855 on your AM dial. Sponsored by Mental Illness Fellowship of Victoria. recent devastating earthquake in Nepal has caused a massive loss of life and rendered a large number of people injured and homeless. The Nepalese Earthquake Relief and Welfare Committee is providing vital support to the relief operations in Nepal. They are appealing to all Victorians for support and assistance. You can help by providing financial support, working as a volunteer or by promoting the appeal on social media. For more information, go to 3cr.org.au or check out the Facebook page, Victorians Stand Together for Nepal. Okay, welcome to Brainwaves on 3CR, 8.55am on the dial. On today's show, we have Professor of Clinical Psychology at Swinburne, John Reed, and um, Brainwaves crew today, we have uh, Rose and two, and panelling uh, is myself, Kathy here. And um, before we proceed, we have a quick message from Kate regarding last week's show. Yes, hello listeners. I wanted to thank everybody who participated in last Wednesday's Radiothon. Um, It was a fantastic effort. Um, We raised um, over $300 and surpassed our target of $900. So thank you to everybody out there who donated. And I'd like to make a special um, thank you to Mike and Ruby, the Wonder Dog in Croydon. Thanks for being here with us today, John. Nice to be here. Welcome, Professor Reid, otherwise known as John. Thanks so much for taking the time to be here on our program. I'm really excited to hear what you have to say. I understand you have some pretty compelling views about attitudes to mental illness. What sparked your interest in this area specifically, but also mental illness in general? 
well too I, I've always uh, wondered how people could not be interested in psychosis mm. yeah <laughs> I actually think everybody's interested in madness um, it's just that some people are interested and run a hundred miles away from it <laughs> yeah, and absolutely. some people are interested and just want to get closer to it and understand it yeah um, and some people are experiencing it of course in fact more people do than 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 we think. Um, good research tells us that about 15% of people will hear voices, for instance, at some point in their Amazing. lives. So it's not such a, a rare and weird thing as people might think it is. Did you always know you wanted to be a clinical psychologist? Um, well, no, because when I was 11, all I wanted to do was play football for England. So. Okay. <laughs> Um, I haven't you always, grew up in England. Second best was a clinical psychologist, actually. So, <laughs> so you've um, you've obviously worked in a number of, a number of different countries as a clinical psychologist. How yeah. do you um, you think your experience as a clinician shaped your um, your interest as a researcher? Well, when I worked, uh, I worked for about twenty years as a clinical psychologist in in America and England and New Zealand and. What struck me was how often people, if you could manage to establish a decent relationship with mm. them, which is sometimes the hard part because mm. people um, experiencing psychosis are quite scared of other people. Oh, sometimes. it's hard to get a normal relationship regardless. It, it, yes, <laughs> indeed. Um, but if you can do that, then most people, not all, but most people will tell you about the pretty awful stuff that's gone on mm. yeah. in their lives. Um, and then the second thing that struck me was how disinterested most mental health services are in those things because they're too busy diagnosing and medicating to to listen to people properly. So okay. that's when I got into academia, those are the sorts of things I yeah. wanted to research and that's what I've been doing for the last 15, 20 years. Okay. Well, just following on from that, um, so you're obviously really passionate about the medicalization of mental illness. Hmm. Um, can you please explain to our listeners what is the label and drug approach to mental illness treatment? Well, the label and drug approach is, is, is just a term that those of us who are a bit critical of the mental health system use to sum it all up. Um, basically, what too often happens is that someone comes in in acute distress with uh, lots of bad things going on in their life, present and, and past, and all that happens is somebody um, counts the symptoms, as yeah. they call them, because mm. they're not symptoms. These are not medical things. I don't know why we use a medical framework to understand human distress. It's just beyond me. Um, but that's what we do. So we count the symptoms, then we apply a label. Mm. Yeah. Uh, we call it a diagnosis, but they're just labels. Um, there's no science to them at all. Um, such as psychosis? Such as, well, such as schizophrenia or even depressive disorder. And you see, the thing is, we think these labels explain something. These very bright people have convinced themselves that <laughs> if you can come up with a diagnosis, you've explained something. So nowadays, for instance, depression is no longer caused by depressing things happening. Yeah. It's caused by having something called depressive disorder, which makes no sense at all. It's a backward circular loop. You know, mm. why is someone depressed? Well, they've got depressive disorder. How do you know they've got depressive <laughs> disorder? Well, they're depressed. Yeah. It's very, it's very silly, but there's an awful lot of people in the mental health system actually believe in these diagnoses as if they explain something. They're just words, and unfortunately, some of them are very powerfully negative words. Mm. The stigma for instance, attached with that terrible um, word schizophrenia, which we really just need to stop using, is, is enormous. Which is probably adding to the stigma that's already very pre prevalent in our indeed. community. Yes, it's making it worse, indeed. It's a tough problem, though. I mean, like, you might have multiple diagnoses. They obviously don't exist in isolation of one another and mm. other events within your life. Mm. Um, how? What's an alternative approach that medical practitioners could take to using the DSM? Like, it's it's... It's a problem that's rooted in the education system. Yes. Well, uh, medical training does teach you to 
bomb to think medically, I guess, um, <laughs> to use diagnosis. But the alternatives are, are fairly uh, straightforward. Um, instead of trying to explain somebody's distress by a label, you sit and listen to them. You ask them what's going on in their lives. You ask them what's distressing them. You ask them, do you think there's a link between these, these things that are going on in your life and the problems you're having now? And then you ask the crucial question, which is very often not asked, what do you think you need? from us the current approach is i know what's wrong with you you've got this thing called x y or z yeah. i've got an anti x y or z pill i'm going to mm. give you yeah good luck that's and that's really i can't well, yes yeah, when it goes wrong of course mm -hmm. it, it does help some people yeah yeah some people find it reassuring to get a label you know mm -hmm. like when you go to the doctor it's you kind of feel a bit bad if you don't come away with something somebody yeah. telling you no <laughs> yeah. well, i know what it is it's this so it's sort of reassuring but it doesn't explain anything and the, and the best research on our antidepressants and our antipsychotic medication is that for 90 percent of people they're no better than placebo yeah wow um that doesn't mean they don't work mm. <laughs> they help they help people but not because of the chemical effects usually they help people because someone's taken the time to show a little bit of caring and given them something yeah. that but that the doctor thinks will help then you think it'll help so it kind of it makes you feel better it makes you feel mm -hmm. cared about that would be okay if these drugs didn't have such awful side effects. Exactly. So, if, um, so why do you think so many clinicians in the pharmaceutical industry in particular use the label and drug approach? Well, I don't think we need to think too hard why the pharmaceutical industry does it. Um, yeah. that's, that's the, it's their job to sell their, their products. So exactly. I don't actually, I don't really blame them. That's that their job is to get a high return for their shareholders. So sure. they've got to push as many of these drugs as they can, and therefore they've got to push a medical explanation for human distress, and that's what they do, and they do it very well. Oh. My criticism, though, is of our professionals who don't seem to understand what a proper professional boundary is between themselves and the, and the drug companies. Um, you I gave a talk at one of the local hospitals uh, two weeks ago, and they, of course, were the drug companies. They're providing lunch for everybody. They're, they're everywhere. It's just a given that the drug companies sort of are involved in they f the They fund the research, which means they control what sort of research gets done. Exactly. Um, they, they, the people who wrote the new diagnostic manual that came out last year, the DSM-5, the fifth version, 80% of them were in the pay of drug companies. That is unbelievable. Well, yes. <laughs> I'm so old and cynical that I'm not surprised anymore, but um, it is pretty bad, isn't it? It's terrible. I went to a GP for the first time for depression and was, was told by my, my clinician that, okay, I just had a, a rep come in and they said that this new antidepressant's really good. I've never tried it before. Maybe you should. Really? Yeah, shocking. Just, that is just straight unethical, yeah. unprofessional behaviour. And you'd like to think our doctors would know better than that. It's Considering how much ethical training they, that comes into their medical... Education? I, well, not enough, obviously. I, I guess they think they're doing us a favour by giving us a free sample or something or trying to help us out. I, do, I, I don't know. Um, it's their responsibility to look at what the science says. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, we, we must have evidence-based mental health services. If we did have evidence-based mental health services, uh, we would use medication as an absolute last resort after we've mm. tried all the other things that we know works. Like, uh, therapy of different kinds, cognitive therapy, yep. not for everybody, but lo helps lots of people. Um, social support. Um, some people don't need therapy or medicine; they just need some friends, <laughs> help making some friends, or uh, somewhere to live, or some pets if you're homeless, or some money. Um, all of yes, all of those, 
all of those sorts of things. But if we were evidence-based, the first thing we would do is stop all shock therapy to start with. Mm-hmm. Um, that just causes um, brain damage and memory loss, and it doesn't help anybody. So, There's no so evidence can you explain to our listeners what shock therapy is? I'm sorry, too. Shock therapy <laughs> is passing 150 volts of electricity through a human brain, um, a perfectly normal human brain, nothing wrong with the brain, that they pass 150 volts through until after they've passed the 150 volts through it. The idea is to cause a grand mal seizure. In fact, if you don't have a grand mal seizure, like you know, an epileptic fit, as some people would call it, then you haven't had enough electricity through, through the brain. And that's curious because you've got one branch of medicine trying to cure seizure disorders and another branch of inducing medicine it. inducing them. And that's that just doesn't seem to, to make sense, just intuitively. Um, but if it worked, I wouldn't be objecting to it. Um, but it doesn't work. There's no evidence that there's any benefits beyond the end of the two weeks that you have ECT and an awful lot of evidence that it causes brain damage and memory loss. Is something worrying you? Need someone to talk to? Having trouble at work or at home? Call WIRE Women's Information on 1300 134 130 Monday to Friday 9am to 5pm Talk to a woman who cares. It's free and confidential, Victoria-wide. You can talk to us about anything. You can also talk to us in your own language through our telephone interpreter service. So call WIRE on 1300 134 130 or visit wire.org.au. WIRE is a 3CR supporter. Okay, that song before was um, Freak Out by Wolfpack Amadeus. And um, urgent, there is a drummer wanted for a local band for Full Metal Jacket. Urgently require a drummer, um, Full Metal Jacket, or a seven-piece band playing classic rock, blues, covers, originals, music. Uh, must be available Tuesday, 11 to 4 p.m. for rehearsals in Upway. Drum kit supplied. Inquiries, phone Di- Diana. 9761 1516 7 to 9 p.m. Over to you, Kate. And we have um, a message from the SMART project. Um, SMART is a research project looking at how electronic resources can support conversations between mental health consumers and workers. The project gives participants the opportunity to have eight face to face sessions with a facilitator using an iPad and the internet to talk about either mental health topics or other topics that are of interest. It's being led by Swinburne University in partnership with a range of clinical and community mental health services. If you are over 18 and have experienced psychosis and are interested in getting involved, please call the SMART team on 9214-5304. That's 9214-5304. Or email the team at smartonline at swin. Dot edu dot au. And welcome back to Brainwaves. Today we are chatting with Professor of Clinical Psychology, John Reed. And over to you guys. John, yes, I was very interested to know 
What do you think are the most common misconceptions about psychosis and psychotic symptoms that you encounter in Australia and internationally? I think the biggest mistake that certainly some professionals make is to think of um, people who hear voices or who have very unusual ideas or particularly frightened of the world, paranoia, um, to think of them as having something wrong with their brains and something wrong with their genes and um, having some sort of medical illness that explains all these experiences. Um, there's no evidence to s- support that sort of thinking, even though it's been around for some time. Yep. It's damaging thinking because it's uh, pessimistic about uh, recovery. And it's ignorant thinking because it ignores all the social context around why people hear voices and have and why people are very frightened of the world sometimes and it's usually but not often usually because quite bad things of one nature or another have happened to people sure but these misconceptions are really common yes well they're common in amongst mental health professionals interestingly when you do surveys of the public all over the world including here in australia um the public understands that these things are caused by bad things happening stress Mm -hmm. at home stress at work child neglect child abuse poverty loneliness all of those things the public understand it um but there's some mental health professionals still clinging on to this old idea that these are illnesses medical illnesses um it's not helpful it's really um time we let that idea fade away i think yes John, I um, read in your literature, you examined the link between uh, psychosis and non-biological factors such as poverty and child abuse. Do you think there is enough uh, pre-existing research for professionals and the public to be re-examining the way we think about and treat psychosis? I think the, the evidence is in now. Um, the last 20 years has seen an avalanche of research um, pointing out that uh, this, the, the very strong link between poverty and uh, child abuse and child neglect. Mm. Um, and more current events, you know, serious physical assault and rape. And um, there's no accident, I don't think, that people arriving on, on our shores um, escaping very violent situations. There's high proportions of psychosis in those sorts of populations. Um, yep. People, uh, <laughs> refugees escaping from, from war-torn areas. Um, those are not illnesses. Those are reactions to mm. life events, and it's high time mental health services work up to that. It's so interesting. Um, I was having a conversation with a friend last week who um, I brought up your ideas with them, and they thought, oh, I, I just assumed that homeless people must have pre-existing biological schizophrenia, oh, and, and that's how, how, why they're unable to be in jobs and homes. Mm. Um, it seems like being without a home would be enough of a stressor to bring that out in anybody Mm. it's an interesting idea yes you would think so that was a fairly obvious example isn't it um but yeah it's and one of the bad things it does it sort of minimizes the the need for us to do something about all these causes whether it's homelessness or poverty or or whatever because there's no point it sort of suggests there's no need to do it there's something wrong with these individual people yeah Yeah. these are not social issues these are weaknesses we can't do anything about that's right all we can do is just identify them and, and medicate them rather than doing something about the causes um, mm. which would be a lot more useful uh, expenditure of money I think. Yep so it doesn't help progress our ideas and change our views especially in regards to stigma um, so you've expressed some pretty compelling views there how do you think we can go go about implementing a paradigm shift in the way the public perceives and also in the way that 
the medical profession perceives. Well, as I said, I don't think we need the, the public's there already. Um, it's <laughs> it's the, um, the the professionals that have got to catch up with the public, and the, and they've got to start uh, reading the the research and not being quite so arrogant and thinking they they know it when they haven't actually read it. Um, what one of the exciting things that is leading the paradigm shift, and it is happening, it's happening too slowly for some of us, but it is happening. Um, all over the world now, there are um, groups of people who hear voices who are getting together uh, to support one another. It's called the Hearing Voices Network. Is it in uh, Australia? It is in Australia, and it's even in Melbourne. There's an organisation called Voices Vic, which mm-hmm. people can Google and, and look up. And um, some people who hear voices will find that approach much more helpful and less stigmatising than mental health services. Some people will need mental health services as well. Yeah. Um, but the, what the, the, the difference is that when you go to a Voices Vic-type meeting, you f- meet other people who have similar experiences. You don't get labelled. You don't get told there's something wrong with your brain. You don't <laughs> get told you'll never work again um, and all those depressing messages. Um, sure. And you learn, <coughs> you learn from other people who have been through it what helped them because um, they've found <coughs> lots of ways to, to get through it and, and manage it. Some people learn to live quite happily with their voices and actually become quite proud of them and value the messages that the voices are trying to, to give them because actually voices are, are part of the human experience for sure and they might be able to help you unpack some past traumas the content they are trying often they're trying that's exactly exactly right they're trying to speak to us about things that are sometimes rather unspeakable Mm. uh we we touched on some uh points earlier about um efficacy versus health risks uh what what is the um the the main treatments you think need re-examining urgently Uh, well the the main treatments we need to use a lot less of um Antidepressants. Um, last year, one in eleven uh, Australians were prescribed antidepressants, which means one in seven women, because they're prescribed much more to women. Mm. One in seven Australian women were prescribed antidepressants. That's something Shocking. seriously yes. wrong when when that's going on. They don't work beyond placebo. When you compare to placebo, they're, they're no better than placebo, and they have a range of quite. Um, not as bad as the antipsychotic drugs, which is truly horrendous, permanent effects. Most of the antidepressant side effects are temporary, but they're quite hard to come off. So people, are, so I must say, when I'm critical of these drugs, please, uh, to all listeners, do not, as a result of one radio show, <laughs> yeah. throw your medication away. If you do decide you want to reduce it, it has to be done very, very slowly. These are mm. powerful drugs with powerful withdrawal effects. That's a great point. Even changing your doses, people should consult their doctor before. Absolutely. absolutely absolutely so okay. there are there are positives to take away from all all this there's alternatives within mental health services there's good people within mental health services of course i don't want to be critical of everybody i'm only critical of those that have a very narrow no approach. i think it's and, the ideology and who don't listen and of course most people within mental health will will try to mm. listen it's more the model that they've been working no, on yeah. yeah that has to, has to not the people yeah. so much it's more the model That's um right. so lastly just following on from that what do you think has the most potential in terms of mental health treatments from what you've seen so far in your research um well uh, two things the psychological treatments have been shown to be very effective cognitive therapy doesn't work for everybody um it can be very very helpful and other types of therapy family therapy group therapy um but also i think that probably the most important thing are outside of mental health services the things like the voices voices groups are wonderful thank you so much for talking to us today john it's been a pleasure 
Uh, we'd all like to thank Professor John Reed for coming onto our show today. Thank you so much. Uh, you can listen to podcasts of our show at 3cr.org.au and iTunes. Send us the feedback thoughts or just get in contact, especially if you have a story, suggestions or topic you'd like to share. Email us at brainwaves at mifellowship.org. Post to brainwaves at 3CR, PO Box 1277, Collingwood, Victoria 3066. Uh, thanks for listening and be sure to tune in to 3CR next Wednesday at 5pm for another episode of Brainwaves. Stay tuned for Renegade Economist coming up next on 3CR. Until next week, it's goodbye from the team at Brainwaves. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.